I just thank God that we have a president that would stand up and do that. And let me say this about Trump. You know, you, you may have your feelings about him, and that's okay. I have some feelings about him also. But the man does seek godly counsel. He does call pastors. He does have a pastor. And he does, he does have the counsel of the godly in his life, which is what we all need, and especially as a president. So be assured he is doing that. I know personally he's doing that. I've talked to some pastors, and, and uh, he does do that. He does seek godly counsel. But let's, let's pray right now for our nation. Let's pray for um, the fear that's gripping the nation, and let's just trust God. And Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your many blessings, Lord God. We thank you for this country and, and how you've taken care of us in the past and how you've brought us through so many things. And, Lord God, we know you will bring us through this, through this virus that's going around, Lord God. And I just pray for the nation, Lord God. I pray that you would allay any fears that anyone has, that, that we would have our trust and put our trust in you, O oh God. We do put our trust in you. And we ask you, Lord God, to be that miracle worker, that promise keeper, to be that light in the darkness to so many. And I pray that this, this time would, would turn people's hearts towards you, not away from you, but towards you, that people would run to you, O oh God, and they would just see how good you are. And I just pray protection over this body, over this city, over this county, over this nation. I ask your protection from any virus in the name of Jesus. And I just pray, Lord God, that you put a hedge of protection around us and take care of us, Lord God, that we will not get sick. I claim it right now. In the name of Jesus, we will not. You will prevent us and keep us from getting sick. And I just pray, Lord God, that, uh, that, that you be with the leaders of the nation, the leaders of the city, that you help them, Lord God, in their decision-making, that they would make the right choices and the right decisions that would protect the people the most. And we just thank you, Lord God, that you are God. And we thank you, Lord God, that you are in our life and you're working in our life and in our family's life. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You can sit down now. Thank you, guys. Thank you all. Thank you all for coming to Thrive, to Thrive Tribes. To Thrive. We appreciate that so much. I know you passed probably 30 churches on the way here, and you could have pulled in that driveway on any one of them, but you came here, and we really appreciate that. Uh, I want to make a few announcements real quick. Uh, the Thrive Students is every Sunday night now. Now, we were doing it every two weeks. We're doing it every Sunday night. Uh, Logan's doing a great job. Uh, they are just knocking it out. The walls are, have to be spread out because there's so many kids coming. It's from 5 to 7. And then next Sunday uh, at 1230 after the, the 1045 service, we're going to have the DESPO interest meeting. Now, DESPO is the desperation conference that we take the youth and the college and career to. We, we started last year, and it was a great time. The first song we sang was a John Egan song. John Egan was there last year and just did a fantastic job. It's a praise and worship conference. But they have speakers, motivational speakers. They have Christian speakers for the kids that's designed and made for them in their life and where they're at. Uh, I got a lot out of it, though. I, I still consider myself a kid, kind of. All right, and uh, on March 29th, from 1 to 4, uh, that's going to be our third-year anniversary, and we're going to be at the, yeah, three years, believe it or not. We're going to be at the new church, the new building, and we're going to have uh, a chili cook-off and a cake-off. 
uh, bouncy houses. We're going to have fishing if you want to fish in that pool, in uh, that pond. <laughs> Let her run out there. Uh, and, the, and we're also going to have baptisms. Now, I want to ask you, uh, we, we announced in our Thrive Tribe that we're having baptism on the 29th. And believe it or not, we found one person in our Thrive Tribe that had been baptized. So uh, he's going to be baptized. So Thrive leaders, ask your people, have y'all been baptized? If they haven't, we're going to do it on the 29th out there. And it won't be in the pond, okay? I promise. It's going <laughs> to be in a uh, We're going to have a spa there to do that. So, and let's see. Anything else I need to mention? That's it. I did it. I didn't miss a one. I didn't think it was... I didn't think I was ever going to do that again because I messed him up so bad one time. It was really bad. Um, anyway, enough about that. So, so um, today we are starting a new series, and this first message is a message entitled Isolation. And I'm wanting, it's, a, it's, an, important, it's an important message from God's Word. I'm wondering, has anyone besides myself ever seen someone that is isolated? They're a loner, yeah. They're all by themselves. I mean, not for just weeks or days or weeks or months, but maybe for years. And they're just kind of isolated. And that's, that's the worst case scenario, okay? Uh, we don't see too many people like that, but there are people like that. And pretty soon, not only are they talking, hearing voices, but they're talking to those voices, and it just gets crazy. And, you know, we need each other. We need each other in the body of Christ. And so if I start off with, um, uh, my first verse is in Proverbs 18.1. And the, the verse goes, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. I'm going to read that one more time because it's so short. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. So uh, when you're all by yourself and you're all alone, it says right there you seek your own desire. It seeks what you want to do. You know, no longer are you maybe compromising with a spouse or a roommate or a friend you know, a lot of times, I, you know, I get this best friend. A lot of times I just defer to whatever you want to do, you know. You want to go here? No, let's go. Well, when you're alone, you don't have anyone to defer to. You're just kind of alone, and you do your own desires. And he rages against all wise judgment. So a person like that is, uh, is crazy. You know, there's three points to this message, three points. And when I make this first statement... There's going to be a big, oh, did he really say that? You're going to be looking in, ladies, you're going to be looking in your purse for that stone you keep just in case. Keep it handy. Um, uh, or you're going to be saying, oh, wait till pastor gets back. I'm going to tell him what you said, that first point. It's going to be shocking. You're going to lock up. Uh, uh, it's, it's kind of out there. But if you'll hear me out, you'll understand. So, but let me preface, before I, I make this statement, uh, this first statement, I want to let you know that I know that God is self-sufficient. Self I know God is all-sufficient. I know he's all-knowing. I know he's omnipresent. 
God is everything we need. He's everything. Okay? But there's certain times in our life when we need more than just God. And so the first statement, first I'm going to make is, number one, God is not enough. Told you. <gasps> I'm not going to wait until Pastor gets back. I'm going to text him right now. Get me a phone out. But if you think about it, God is not enough. That's the first statement. And um, uh, you might be saying, I rebuke you right now in the name of Jesus. But uh, let's look at Genesis 2.18. And it says, this, we, a lot of times to understand God, we go back to the garden. And in Genesis 2.18, God's made all these animals, right? And then the Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone, period. He makes that statement, and it's a period. It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So God made us a helper just right for us. And a lot of people think that's a marital statement, that that's about marriage. It's not a marital, marital statement. It's a relationship statement. It's a relational statement. Now, um, The thing about God not being enough and us needing other people, we need other people in our life. We need people that will, you know, iron sharpens iron. We need people to, uh, you know, to, um, when we're going through times, we need wise counsel. Uh, this, this verse goes beyond personality. It's not just about your personality. A lot of people say, I'm, I'm alone, I'm a loner, I'm an introvert. But it goes past that. It, it's, uh, it's, I'm an introvert. I'm, I'm not a people person. Yes, you are. You are a people person. You came from a people. She's called your mom. So we all came from people. We are a people person. A lot of times we say, oh, I'm better by myself. You're not. You're not better by yourself. You're different, but you're not better. And we were created and designed to be in community and relationship with each other. That's the way God created us. That's the way God designed us. He wants us to be in relationship. And you say, how can I be in relationship? There's a great way to be in relationship. Number one is coming on Sunday mornings. That's a great way to be in community and to be in relationship. Another is our Thrive Tribes. Uh, about ha half of all our church goes to Thrive Tribes. There's about half that don't. But each Sunday, about half of the church goes to a Thrive Tribe. And there are great ways to, uh, great ways to, to build that camaraderie. Um, and, uh, and I want you to think about this. In that verse, they'd made all the animals. Adam named all those animals. He had a great relationship with God. Uh, he walked with God in the cool of the evening, spent his whole day with God. And Adam didn't, he wasn't the one that said, God, when are you going to hook me up? You know, I need a... I need, a, I need a mate. I need this or that. Adam didn't do that. God is the one that said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper. And so, it's God's idea. It's God's idea for us to be in relation with other people. Now, my second point is, God is okay with not being enough. He's okay with that. 
And I'm, I'm going to show you an example. Uh, I want to read Exodus 4, 13 through 16. And this is, you know, the burning bush, okay? And uh, Moses is already there. He's already taken his sandals off. But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. Then the Lord became angry with Moses. All right, he said. What about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he speaks well. And look, he's on his way to meet you now. He will be delighted to see you. Talk to him and put the words in his mouth. I will be with you. I will be with both of you as you speak, and I will instruct you both in what to do. Aaron will be your spokesman to the people, and he will be your mouthpiece. And you will stand in the place of God for him, telling him what to say. Moses didn't want to go to Egypt. He did not want to go back. He'd been uh, a sheep herder for 40 years, and he was not about to go back. And here's God. A burning bush, but it's not burning. It's on fire, but it's not burning. And it's talking to him. Not only is it talking to him, but he's talking back to it. And and God's telling him, I want you to go to Egypt. I want you to do this. I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses is given every excuse under the sun. And, I mean, I can't speak well. I, 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 can't, I, I can't get the words out. He doesn't want to go. I think there's some fear because he'd killed a man. That's why he left in the first place. He killed a man before he left. I think there was fear of that that he would be killed himself. And uh, so God said, okay, what about your brother Aaron? And all of a sudden, here comes Aaron. I mean, God had to know what was going on in order for Aaron just walking up right at the right time. So he said, take your brother. It's okay. I mean, there's been a couple of times in my life that God's, I've heard the, the voice of God. I really have. And God said, start your business now. It was back in like 80, 84, 85. And I had been waiting, getting the, the money up. I had like $1,000 saved. Uh, I was working for a company in Dallas that we did carpet cleaning. And I had gone to Houston. I'd gone to Arlington. I'd gone three different places and opened up business for them, which was God getting me ready to start my own business, saying, hey, you can do it. You can do this. So... When I finally heard that voice, it was God saying, okay, it's time. Start your own business. And I had everything ready, and I just jumped out there, and everything just, boom, just went lined up. And then there was another time I bought a house without even seeing it, sight unseen. God said, don't rent it, buy it. I mean, and it was the best house we ever had. We loved it. I mean, Here's God telling Moses, I'm going to go with you. I will be with you. Tell them, I am that I am. That means you've got a blank check, Moses. If you need your staff to turn into a snake and turn back into a staff, it's going to do it. If you need the water to turn to blood, it's going to turn to blood. It's going to do it. I'm going to do it for you. This is a blank check, God. If you need to get water out of a rock, you're going to get water out of a rock. If you need a pillar of fire, by night and a cloud by day, you're going to have it. I will lead you. I'll take you. 
I am that I am. You've got a blank check. Go get my people released. Would that be enough, hearing that from God, for us to go? I think I would, be, I would take off. The times in my life when I know that I know that I heard from God, start your business now. Go buy that house. I don't care if you haven't seen it. That's your house. Are the times that I have been the most bold about what I'm doing because I know God's with me. And yet here's not Moses. Don't send me. He pleaded with God, don't send me. After seeing his staff, he's, you know, God told him, throw your staff down. It turned into a snake. And it said, Moses, jump back. Because that's what you do when you see a snake. You jump back. I've seen, I think one of the reasons we jump back is because we never see a snake. And when you finally do see a snake, man, that scares me. And uh, then he said, pick it up, pick up the snake. Picks it up, and it turns back into a staff. And then he said, put your hand in your cloak. So he puts his hand in his cloak. And he pulls it out, and it's white with leprosy. It's, it's just diseased. He said, put it back in your cloak. Put it back in, pulled it out, and it was healed. And then he said, uh, get some blood. Get, get, get some water. Get a cup of water. Pour it out. And the water he poured out turned to blood. He said, these are the signs I'm going to show Pharaoh. I'm going to tell you a second part of that story. I read on in that chapter uh, just so I could get some more context. And the second part of the chapter, after he goes to his father-in-law, Jethro, and says, I need to go back to to uh, Egypt. I need to go back to, to set the people free. I know he got permission from Jethro, and he goes back. And when he's on his way, it's not until Moses is on his way to Egypt that God says, now when you get there, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart so he won't let him go. I think he didn't tell Moses that part until he saw he was on his way. And I, I want to say this about that. There's a lot of things that God will just show us a little bit of. Because if he showed us the whole picture, there's no way we would go and do it. No way. And uh, anyway, I, I think that was pretty cool. You know, he said, okay, Moses, uh, take your brother Aaron. It's okay if you don't go by yourself. I'm okay with that. I, sh I, shouldn't, I shouldn't have to do that, but I am. Uh, when Jesus sent the disciples out to witness. He sent them two by two. He didn't send them alone. There, there's going to be times when you're going to be alone. You're going to be at Walmart. You're going to be by yourself in the garden and say, go talk to that person. Go pray with that person. I'm not saying that never will you not witness alone. But most times, they went out two by two. Let me tell you, there's a boldness that comes about that. There's a boldness. Uh, I was on the altar team and uh, at another church, a big church, and I don't know, we, we would sit through the first service, and then the second service, uh, we would just kind of sit out. We wouldn't go into the service. And my friend, who was on the altar team with me, said, Rick, let's go pray for somebody. And I don't know, something just welled up in me. I said, yeah, let's go. And we just went down there together, and we were ready. Now, nobody came to me. He got to pray for somebody. But man, we were, we were fired up. We were ready. There was a boldness about us. Having someone alongside you is awesome. It could be a spouse. It could be a friend. Uh, we have uh, two ladies, uh, 
thrive tribes, uh, Shakibi and Camille doing one, they do it together. We have Misty and Tammy, uh, that's a mother and daughter, they do it together. Now, it's great if you're married and, and you can do it with your spouse, but if you're not, we encourage you to do it with somebody as a team. It's awesome. And um, let's see. There, there's also, I'll tell you something else about friends. Uh, you ever been in your, in your prayer closet in the morning and you're praying and you're praying and God gives you something? And man, you start writing that down. Oh, God, that is great. Thank you, God. And then you go, later in the day, you go to coffee with your friend. You go to coffee with Sally. You meet at Starbucks and you start talking. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit shows up between you two. And Sally says something, and you go, wait, wait. God gave me that. I got chill bumps all over. God gave me that this morning in prayer. Oh, my gosh. And God's going, really? Really? I gave it to you. Nothing. You just write down in your journal. Sally tells you, and you go all crazy over it. <laughs> that happens, though, doesn't it? Or we'll be at Presbytery. A uh, pastor had one about this time last year uh, where we had people come in. They were given words. And you get a word, and you go, oh, my gosh. That's the same word I got five years ago. That's confirmation. And God's going, really? I gave it to you five years ago. And you haven't acted on it. Now you're getting confirmation again. Maybe you'll act on it this time. You know, I heard, I heard a guy say one time, uh, you're out there, you're wanting to get a word. Well, what did you do with the last word you got from God? What did you do with it? So think about that. <laughs> and uh, we need each other. Uh, I want to read from Proverbs 27.6. And this is, Wounds from a sincere friend are better than kisses from an enemy. I think those kisses are flattering. I think that wounds from a sincere friend are better than kisses than from an, than kisses from an enemy. Uh, wounds, you know, sometimes, you know, we need friends. We need friends, we need family to call us on things. You know, my wife will tell me, oh, so-and-so did something. I said, well, did you call her on it? Did you say something? You know, so many times we just let things go by instead of saying, you know, is that what God would do? Do you think that's scriptural? You know, sometimes we need to look our friends in the eye and say, you know, maybe you shouldn't be doing it that way. Maybe that's not scripture. And that's hard to do sometimes, but wounds from a sincere friend it's better than flattery from an enemy. In Proverbs 27, 9. Okay, I like this one. The heartfelt counsel of a friend is the sweetest perfume and incense. And then Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. You know, you need someone in your life that's going to challenge you. That's going to make you better. You know, you need friends in your, in your life that will, will say, hey, I read this today. What did you read? What did God share with you? And uh, I, I, I'm going to give this example. I, I, was at, when I, I was in a 5A school, and I wasn't in any sports. Um, back then, the Dallas Independent School District, they would recommend you for the sports from elementary. And back then, we played tackle football, full pads, in fifth and sixth grade. And... But the coach had to recommend you for the next level. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it. 
<laughs> my, uh, my football days were over. My basketball days were over. Uh, I was in band, and that was an experience. But uh, I, wasn't, I didn't get to go on. But I could play tennis. And when I was in high school, I was friends with the tennis team. And I would go and play tennis with the tennis team. And we would be playing, and it was amazing how much better I got when I played with someone that was better than me, played against someone better than me. You may have experienced it, maybe not so much in tennis, but in ping pong, when you're playing ping pong, and your opponent's really good, you get better. They help you get better. That's what that means right there. Iron sharpens iron. As you go through things in life, and you go through experiences, and you need someone, not just in heaven, God and Jesus, you need someone here on earth. They can really help you along. They can really give you scriptures and things. Well, you know what? I went through that. Here's how I handled it. And you don't want to push people away. You want to embrace that. And then uh, it's good to have good friends. Uh, they inspire us. Uh, good friends where you can be connected, where you can be challenged by others. So they inspire us, they connect us, and they challenge us. Um, and the, and the horizontal connection amplifies the vertical connection. And you've got a connection with God, and you're looking up and you're praying and you're raising your hands, but you also need a horizontal connection where you're looking a man in the eyes, face to face, and you're giving your testimony and you're telling what you're going through. You need that. And then God, number three, God won't let himself be enough. Okay? So let's read Matthew 26, 36 to 46. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove, olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. So here he is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's going up the hill with the disciples. And he says, sit here and pray. But he took Peter, James, and John and went a little farther up. Now, I've gotten in trouble for this statement before because it's not in the Scripture, but it is in the Scripture. It, it's in the Scripture in examples. I believe that Jesus had a circle, the 12 disciples, but I believe he had an inner circle. And it was Peter, James, and John. It was the ones he turned to when he needed something. When, and, and, and here, he's facing the lowest low of his life. He knows, he knows what is about to happen, that he's going to suffer. He's going to be beaten and whipped and hung on a cross. And, and he is at his lowest low. And he asked these three guys, his inner circle, to go with him and pray. And he took Peter and, and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. 
Stay here and keep watch with me. He went, he went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples, and he found them asleep. He said to Peter, Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When, when he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same thing. Again, he came to the disciples again and said to them, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let us be going. Look, my betrayer is here. If there was one person in the history of the earth that could have had a right to be a loner, it would have been Jesus. Yet, he chose to live his life in community. Not to live his life in isolation. If there was one person you could say, they just don't get me. I talk and they just don't understand. They're not on my level. When I talk, they just don't know what I'm saying. It was Jesus. And so many times they didn't understand him. Disciples would get him alone. Tell us what that meant. What did that parable mean? What were you talking about there? And the Sadducees and the Pharisees really didn't get him. They had no idea what he was talking about. He talked about how their ears were shut, and they couldn't hear, and they couldn't understand. So if anyone had a right to be a loner, to live a life like that, it was Jesus. Choose to live life in community. And think about this. Jesus was at his lowest low. He was about to be hung on the cross. So he takes his three best friends, Peter, James, and John, and he says, pray with me for one hour. But they can't pray. They're too tired. They're too sleepy. I believe when he says pray that you don't fall into temptation, I think he was talking to Peter there. I think Peter was the one that cut the soldier's ear off. I mean, he, he fell into it. If Peter would have been praying, maybe that wouldn't have happened. Of course, Jesus put it back on and everything was fine. But when he was at his lowest low, even though his friends were asleep, they were there. Sometimes it's enough just to be there. My daughter went through something this past, this past month that was really trying, really hurtful. And she reached out to us. She reached out to her siblings. And there came a point where I said, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to tell you. Everything sounds... And she said, Dad, don't say anything. Just knowing you're there, just knowing you're listening, that's enough. I said, I just don't know what to say. She said, it's okay. You're there. You're here for me. You would rush to me in a minute. I know you would. But I, I know that. And, and just knowing that's enough. Jesus is going through his lowest time. And, and even though his friends were asleep, they were, they were with him. 
They were there. At his lowest low, his friends were there. He chose community at the lowest point in his life. At his highest high, on the Mount of Transfiguration, when he's transported to heaven, who was there? Peter, James, and John. At his lowest low, his friends were there. And at his highest high, his friends were there. He chose community. And uh, something happens when you live in isolation. When you only hear your voice, when you only hear you, and you seek your own desires, you begin to hear another voice. It's a demonic voice. Living in isolation, and you're not hearing anybody else, the, the devil's going to be right there, speaking in your ear, telling you things that you should not do. So another spirit comes in to talk to you. And then I want to look at another scripture here. Uh, Hebrews 10, 23 and 25, uh, it says, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together. I love that verse. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Community. It, we need each other, and we need to be together. And God encourages us here. And I've always said, God, I want to preach that, and let us not neglect our meeting together. I want to preach that, God. He said, you, he said no. I said, why can't I preach that? He said, the people that need to hear it won't be there. They'll be asleep at home. <laughs> anyway, that was a joke. It, it felt kind of... I'll, Come, come next service, I'll do a lot better than that. <laughs> but think about it. Uh, people today are not coming to ch Now, this is a weird day to do uh, an isolation. Don't be isolated uh, with coronavirus just running rampant, you know. It is kind of weird. But y'all know what I'm talking about. It's not just about the coronavirus. People are isolated. It, it is... It is so easy in this, day, in this time, in this age, to be isolated. Uh, there are people that work for major corporations from home. They might go in once a week. Some of them never go in. Uh, our CEO at AT&T encouraged everyone, if you can work from home, we encourage you to work from home. Don't come to the office. Uh, Apple. My son works at Apple. He works at the Domain in Austin. All Apple stores are closed for the next two weeks. Now, he gets paid, so he's all happy. But isolation. Uh, in my office, we have, we have uh, cubicles, and they're not high. They're not six foot high. They're, I mean, you can see over them. You can see the next person next to you. They've decided to isolate us, uh, distance us. Social distancing, thank you, God. That's the word that, that they use, social distancing. So we're not going to be right next to somebody anymore. They're moving us around as they have, you know, room. They're moving us to different cubes. So we're at least six feet apart, and they're encouraging us social distancing at least six feet. I mean, what a day for a message. What a time. It's crazy. Um, I want to read James 5, 16. Now, all these scriptures are from the New Living Testament. 
And it says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I've, I've read that so many times, and I've never caught that, so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous man, a person has great power and produces wonderful results. I memorized that in the King James, the, the, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Uh, so confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. There's something about confessing your sin to somebody. And, and it's, it goes back to that, that vertical and horizontal. We always, you know, I don't know about you guys, but we lay in bed and, and we're looking up and, okay, God, I'm so sorry. I did, I messed up here. I, forgive me. You come boldly to the throne of grace. But we never do that horizontal. But he's saying here, it's when we confess to others, to each other, so that we may be healed. That's when we get healed. In Galatians 6, 1 and 3, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back to the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You are not that important. And I think that's how Paul meant that to sound. You are not that important. And uh, in, in 1 John, it says, But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness, from all unrighteousness. I mean, go boldly to the throne. If there's something in your life you need to get out, get it out. It's when we confess our sins to one another, then we can be healed. Uh, I'll give you a, a quick testimony, my personal testimony. Now, this happened uh, about 41 years ago when I was a very young man. I was 19, and uh, I had a real issue with lust, not so much pornography, I, I just wouldn't cross that line. But I had a real lust issue. And all the things that went with that, I had a problem. And I was a Christian. I was in church. I was saved. I was going to heaven. But I just couldn't break this thing. Couldn't break it. And uh, the college and career group, we were going to Port Aransas for July the 4th weekend. I think it was on a Thursday. And we had Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday in Port Aransas, and I just had to go. I don't know, I just felt like I had to go. I quit my job so I could go. That was how bad I needed, I wanted to go. And I went on this trip, and uh, Lori had been in the church about a year. Uh, she got saved and baptized in the Baptist church that I went to. And it was a big revival, and Lori was on fire, just like she is today. Uh, she was on fire for God. She caused a revival in Pleasant Grove. She did. By her salvation, her witness, her testimony, her excitement, and everybody just came in. And, and, and it's her testimony, but it's my testimony too because I was there the night she got saved. And a lot of times I, I tell her testimony, but I'm not going to tell her testimony today. I'm going to move on to what happened to me. So about a year later, um, we're on this college and career trip. Lori's there, and 
we just become friends. We had just become friends. And we spent time together that weekend. And one day, God only knows why I did this. I told Lori about the problem I was having, about the lust issues that I had and what it was doing and how it was affecting my life. And she said, well, let's just pray right here, right now. And we were just, we were just out walking. You know, we, we rode the bus down there so we didn't have any transportation. We walked everywhere we went. And we were underneath a, an underpass. And she said, let's just pray right now. And we got on our knees and we held hands. And we prayed and we broke that in me. And when I looked up, I knew I had broken, something had broken in my life. And I knew the test was going to be the next day. We were going to the beach. And July the 4th, Corpus Christi, Port Aransas. I mean, God, you've got to help me. And I actually did not take the second look. You know, that's what they say. You can't help that first look, but you can help that second look. And you can help that stare. And you can help those thoughts that are going on in your mind. And you break those thoughts, you throw them down, you cast down everything that rises above the Word of God in your head, and you throw it down. This is the thing we need to work on the most, our mind, our head. And we need to get those thoughts out. Did it all day. Went through that whole day and did not lust. It was amazing. I had more fun with my friends than I'd ever had. I didn't have uh, those thoughts. I didn't have that guilt and that shame. You know, you carry it around, you carry it around inside you, and you don't tell anyone, you don't get that out, guess what? It's trapped in you. Until you can get that out, it's trapped, it's in there. It's going to give you guilt, it's going to give you shame, you're going to be embarrassed to tell somebody, but once you get it out in the open, and you get rid of that secret, that's when God can heal you. That's when God can heal you. And then uh, I wanted to go over just some, some final thoughts that God gave me as I was doing this, uh, as I was doing this, um, this sermon, getting ready. One is, uh, if you're caught, I, I, this is just flows right with what I was just saying. If you're caught up in a pattern of sin, confess. Sin, confess. Sin, confess. You know, you, you just can't stop it. You, you know, you go to bed and you say, God, I'm so sorry. I, I messed up again. Please forgive me. And God's going to forgive you. And then you get up the next day and you do it again. That's where I was. That's where I was caught. I was trapped. I couldn't stop it on my own. I confessed it to someone and got a healing. If you just can't break that hold that sin has you trapped in, it may be because you haven't told someone and confessed to them. Get in a safe place. Now, let me tell you where a safe place is. Right here. Right here. Whole. When we do the whole seminars, let me tell you something. You talk about a safe place. People say things that just blow me away. And they say it to the whole church. And they don't care. 
They want to get rid of it. They want to get healed so bad. I don't care who knows this about me. I'm getting it out. Get in the safe place. I'll tell you another safe place. Probably the safest place is Thrive Tribes. What happens at Thrive Tribes stays in Thrive Tribes. What you share, what's your testimony is your testimony. I'm not going to tell somebody your testimony. You want to tell them, you tell them. I'm going to tell my testimony. Now, if you give me permission, yeah, I'll do it. But I'm going to keep that secret. And there are things that go on and things that are said in our Thrive Tribe with the college and career kids that are amazing. I'm just like, man, I wish I had something like that when I was younger that I could feel safe in, that I could say, hey, guys, I'm struggling with this. I'm still doing this. I can't break this. In Revelation, it says, and they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Number one, you got to get it under the blood. you got to get it washed away with the blood of Jesus Christ. That happened 2,000 years ago, but it's still alive. It's still today. We can still take advantage of that. And then, the word of their testimony. you got to tell somebody. You've got to open up, and you've got to get that out. Um, okay? Don't just confess vertically to God. Confess horizontally to a friend. Let iron sharpen iron. And there is a greater life for you in community than there will ever be in isolation. And let, uh, let go of the secret. I know it's safe between you and God, but expand the secret to someone else so you can be healed. And then living a life with no secrets is the greatest life you'll ever live. The shame and the guilt that comes from holding that in, man, to live a life without that, wouldn't you prefer that? I mean, if you've never done it, you don't know. It's so freeing. It's so liberating when you do that. And then number seven on my final thoughts, it said read four again. There is a greater life for you in community than there will ever be in isolation. So I want to, if you would, bow your head, close your eyes. And I want to ask you, is there something in, in you? Is there a secret that you only go to God with? You say, I can't go to anybody. It's too, it's too much. It's too hurtful. Um, there's too much shame. There's too much guilt. And you've gone to God, but you need to go to someone else. I want you to, to, to identify that right now in your life. Put your finger on it. Say, God, I've got this. There's things I'm putting my finger on right now. Nobody's perfect. We strive for it. We want to be, but nobody's arrived yet. Paul said he's, he hadn't arrived yet. He's still striving. We're all striving. We want to make it to that next level. So there's a safe place here. In a minute, there'll be an altar team up here. If you guys have prayer, need prayer, be sure and come, come down, okay? And I started to ask if there's any questions, but I can't do that. Um, keep in prayer, and we're going to sing one final song, and then the altar team will come up.